Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who always keeps up with the news. <laughs> His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I try to. I'm going to say uh, in the research for the show, didn't maybe do as good of a job as I thought because there was a couple <laughs> of things of like, what, that happened? And then I realized it happened like four days ago. So we've been very US men's national team yeah. focused. M- maybe we always go a little bit Some overboard. would say to a lunatic degree. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes our US shows good, right? Mm-hmm. But there's all kinds of other soccer news happening all the time. So this show is going to be a catch-up of everything mm-hmm. we've missed or we've missed talking about on the show in the past week or so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's going to be kind of quick fire, but I'll bet we get sidetracked. I'm going to start off with a like kind of an indie one you probably haven't heard about. But, Daryl, I don't know if you know that Mauricio Pochettino uh, was relieved of his coaching duties at Spurs and that Jose Mourinho has been brought in to replace him. I did know that <laughs> yesterday, but I spent a long time yeah. clicking on the link uh, from Spurs' official website. Mm-hmm. And I kept getting um, the, essentially... TottenhamHotspur.com cannot um, yep. cannot provide cannot serve this data. That's not yeah. the phrase that we. I'm going to assume you, you were not saying the website yeah. was the website was overwhelmed with yeah. people clicking. You were probably not the only one. I'm assuming yeah. most of them were Jose Mourinho and his agents wanting to make sure it was official <laughs> before they uh, started blowing up Daniel Levy's well, phone. I just didn't want to be the victim of a hoax. You know, <laughs> yeah, what I, mean? I thought yeah. maybe it was one of those fake tweets. Oh yeah, those yeah. are annoying. When you have, you always have to look at what like the username and also the description. Uh-huh. You can't just look at one or the other. You've got to look at both to make sure. But in yep. this case, it is the truth. Uh, Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, gone after, what, five and a half years, thereabouts? Mm-hmm. 2014, uh, he took over. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, it's like simultaneously not surprising and surprising is basically it. And the okay. kind of numbers that have been thrown around, 14 points from 12 matches so far this season, going back to February, 25 points from 24 games. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the big thing, uh, like the big thing that has been reported. The larger thing is that it seems as though after losing the Champions League final last year, Mauricio Pochettino was sort of... Uh, frustrated by Spurs' lack of investment, lack of uh, kind of freshening up the squad before that season. And We've then got a whole new stadium. Why would you want yeah, new players? Right, exactly. <laughs> and then I think also uh, an element of it was just also that he really wanted to win. And it seemed like that was going to be the perfect time. There's a good article about this for The Athletic that maybe he thought that was the perfect time to step away. After five years, you win the Champions League yeah. and it's sort of you leave on a high note. And instead, it doesn't end on a high note. He goes back to Spain and by all accounts is a little bit frustrated by the way things went this summer and maybe didn't approach this season with yeah. the like level of enthusiasm enthusiasm and energy required. And there's an interesting thing here where it's not just like manager wants new players all the time. I, mm-hmm. From what I've read and from what I understand and from what I've seen of Spurs this season, I kind of believe in the theory that the current group of players were just worn mm-hmm. out. Like yeah. worn out in terms of what Poch demands of them in training, worn out in terms of the style that he demands that they play. It's hard work to do all that pressing and keep forcing the turnovers, yeah. right? Um, and that if you're not at 100% with that, if you're kind of done with it mm-hmm. then then you either need a new coach with fresh ideas or you need a sort of influx of new players right. who are more receptive to doing all that hard work right, right? Exactly. so and, and he didn't get either of those he got the same old players yeah. doing the same old thing and they they just weren't that excited about it yeah i mean and to be fair he gets uh Tongai and uh, he gets Giovanni Lo Celso and Ryan Sessegnon but i don't think those are necessarily the players he was looking for the players that maybe he had identified mm-hmm. and yeah I, david heitner writing for the guardian had a, a very good piece about this which kind of explained Pochettino's philosophy, which is why he was a good fit for Southampton. It's why Tottenham wanted him in the first place. It's the idea that you give young players uh, or new players a chance to kind of take the opportunity to make the position theirs to get that starting role. Young Once players they take who it, are excited about your idea. Exactly. Right? And, and then not they, thinking about moving to Real Madrid. Well, I think that's part, yeah, not at least in the, that first stage, <laughs> but then with. they become these kind of stars, they become beloved figures. But then at a certain point, I think it's accepted that players are going to want to move on. Uh, Tottenham fans won't like it, but it's the truth that like Tottenham are not the pinnacle 
pinnacle of world football. I would say, you know, a lot of clubs aren't. It probably goes to Man United and Real Madrid. They tend to be the ones that, or excuse me, not Man United. That was a Freudian slip. Uh-huh. Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yeah, I remember, obviously. I remember a certain not, Portuguese player moving on from Man United yeah, to Real Madrid. United. What yeah. I think why that was in my head was because I was going to say, like, even me as a Man United fan, I would recognize that lots yeah. of heads get turned pretty routinely. Um, and so do, I think. Do, do you believe in the idea that Pochettino wanted Ericsson to leave and go yes, to Madrid this summer? And in hindsight, does that explain Pochettino starting the mm-hmm. season? With Ericsson on the bench. Yeah, it absolutely does. Because yeah. I think like that's part of his philosophy is players are going to have their heads turned. But your plan as the manager, as like an organization with long-term strategy, is you sell them on for a lot of money, a lot more than you paid for them. You reinvest that in the squad. And then you yeah. bring in, to the point, young players, new players who are excited about the idea and excited so, about the project. So if Ericsson wanted to go to Madrid mm-hmm. and Pochettino was happy for Ericsson to go to Madrid yep. and Madrid wanted Ericsson, mm-hmm. what happened? It seems as though it goes back to Daniel uh, Levy, who is like the kind of uh, man in charge of Tottenham. Very that much he it. notoriously is a very, very difficult man to negotiate with. Mm-hmm. It's why it's tough to get players out of Tottenham, because he is always going to want to make sure he gets as much money as possible, mm-hmm. make sure all the terms are in their favor. Did you? I, I read a story today illustrating how exacting he is in his negotiations. We may Please. have read the same story about Luka Modric. No, no, no. So when they signed Luka Modric mm-hmm. from, I've forgotten which Croatian club, I want to say it was Dinamo Zagreb. Um, so it was £20 million, pounds and uh, Zagreb, if it was Zagreb, mm-hmm. asked for also five Modric jerseys to, you know, Spurs ones to send back to the mm-hmm. club. And he said, yeah, that's fine. But when the invoice came for the £20 million transfer fee, he deducted right. the cost of the five jerseys right. from the fee that Spurs were going to pay. Which in some ways makes you a very shrewd businessman and, and puts you out in front. But in a lot of other ways, it gives you a reputation of being very difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. So if you've got Christian Eriksen who wants to go and you've got Real Madrid who are theoretically likely very interested, there still is that like, yeah, but like like, like Gareth Bale, you, you really did nickel and dime us here and there. It was difficult to like make this thing work. And even when we thought we had terms, you would kind of change them or you would ask for more. And I think... It limits the uh, efficiency, the speed at which players can be moved on, and that's part of it as well, that you don't want to bring in new players until you've gotten rid of those players so that you can finance it all because the big point that you kind of already alluded to or you've already mentioned is that Tottenham have a new stadium. They mm-hmm. have to start repaying those loans, and that is another big aspect of this. It always is when it comes to sacking a big-time manager is when Champions League looks like it's going to be in doubt, that's when the shoe tends to drop. And in this case, I think it was the fear that Tottenham, if they don't have consistent Champions League appearances over the next couple seasons, won't be as uh, capable of financing those loans, yeah. and so you've got to make a move now. Okay, so the man they brought in mm-hmm. very quickly. I'm going to say su- suspiciously quickly. Yeah, <laughs> Jose Mourinho yeah. is now the Spurs manager. Mm-hmm. This is wild. I think. I think I, every time, honestly, every time I see Jose yeah. Mourinho not in Chelsea clubber, mm-hmm. I think it's been photoshopped. <laughs> Even Mourinho in Manchester United like clubber. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> it just means like gear, club right. gear. You know what I mean, like the tracksuits uh, or the okay. coats with the with the club crest and yeah, the things every day. Um, even Mourinho in Man United stuff made mm-hmm. me think this looks Photoshop. This looks weird. I just so associate yeah. him with Chelsea. So this is really a, a weird visual for me. Mm-hmm. But I think it might work. Yeah, I, I think I think it might as well. A couple things I would I would respond to there. The first one, yeah, to your point, there was the quote from him from like a few years ago about how he would never manage Tottenham because he loves Chelsea too much. Yeah, yeah. I think once the fans all booed him and kind of turned against him, uh-huh. maybe that was when some of those loyalties went out the door. Yep. But I'm also I'm also with you that I think this was a deal that maybe started happening last week. By mm-hmm. all accounts, Levy I think had made it clear. 
to Pochettino that things are not working out, and I think had hoped that Pochettino would maybe step down or would walk away. Uh, Pochettino, for a variety of reasons, some of them monetary, chose not to do that. Yeah, because if you get fired, you get the payout, Exactly, which is anywhere between 12 and 20 million pounds, Mm -hmm. allegedly. Which is a lot more than the zero he would have got for stepping down. (laughs) Exactly, so you understand then, but I'm going to assume that if they're already talking to him about, like, hey, maybe you want to step down, they're probably already talking about potential replacements, and I think it was, although there was some speculation that maybe Julian Nagelsmann was considered. Too late. Yeah, Rafa Honestein said a year too late, and so I would agree. Why, why do we both seem so positive about this Mourinho appointment? Because I don't think all of Spurs fandom is that mm-hmm. positive about the Mourinho appointment. Uh, there are a, a couple reasons, because I think the initial hesitation is just that you have a manager who, or you have an, uh, Daniel Levy who basically, as we've talked about, does not want to sign players, does not want to bring in a bunch of new players, does not necessarily want to offload players quickly. You've got Jose Mourinho, who routinely does want that, and that's kind of what happened yeah. with him at Man United. It's what happened with him at Chelsea. So it seems Get right me there. The like, signature of Nemanja Matic. Right, exactly. That. They can have him. <laughs> uh, but I think right there, it seems like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do this? And I. Uh, do sort of believe that part of his interview process was uh, impressing upon Daniel Levy that he has sort of had the time to adjust and realize that maybe some of his approach was outdated. Maybe he has a new approach oh, to how he wants to run the team. Did you, did you see in his quote, there was a thing about like, I like the squad and I like the academy, which is a very uh, uh, interesting quote because it suggests yeah. I'll use the squad and maybe I'll get Troy Parrott in there. It, I don't it, know. It sure <laughs> suggests that that's what he's saying right now. Yes. Um, but, I, uh, but I also recently, uh, maybe not in the moment, but recently, as a Man United fan, have come around to the idea that like Mourinho was a little hard done by, I think, by Edward Woodward and Manchester United. Because yeah. that year they get second place, he doesn't get the, the kind of reinvestment he wanted, the squad isn't kind of retooled, and he essentially is told to go do the exact same thing with a team that is arguably not as good, and everybody else makes up ground. And I do think that he didn't really get a lot of support from the Man United board or from Ed Woodward to the extent he needed. And I think that he is still a good manager, and I think if he, he can evolve and adapt his approach a little bit because we've kind of had that conversation before that maybe he's a slightly bit behind the times in terms of everybody else is playing this aggressive attacking pressing yeah. high energy soccer this is part of why it'll be fascinating mm-hmm. right and I think the Spurs I think the Spurs players are going to react positively to it because he's not going to come in with like an all out like Red Bull style no. or Nagelsmann style full court press like mm-hmm. a really high press so the players are going to be interested in something that's at least a little bit different to, to Pochettino, right? Mm-hmm. But I also don't think Mourinho is going to have everybody behind the ball and counter-attacking. It'll be, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be something different to what Pochettino is doing and probably different to the stereotype of Mourinho that got established towards the end of his Man United tenure. Yes, I do yeah. wonder with that in mind... Everyone's got to give a little bit. Yeah, I, I wonder if we see a more like avuncular Jose Mourinho at least in the beginning because the... Uh, Always in the beginning yes. you see a more avuncular Jose Mourinho. It's towards the end when things go wrong. True, but in, in the case of Spurs right now... Uh, there's a good, uh, good athletic article about this that essentially because Pochettino, uh, what happened with the Champions League, because he didn't get the players he wanted, because the players weren't sold on, he became a sort of more sullen figure, I yeah. guess, in training and was less into it. He didn't do some of the tactical preparation that they were used to. And it, and it seems like by the end, players, I think the quote was like, you, you didn't look at him because you didn't want to incur his wrath. You didn't want to make him mad. You yeah. didn't want to invite any opportunities for criticism. So if they're coming from a perspective of training was way too hard and the coach was disinterested and kind of sulking, if Jose Mourinho comes in and is fun, maybe that turns it around right away. We'll find yeah. out against West Ham, I, I mean, suppose. he's at least charming, right? Mm-hmm. He's always charming. Yeah. So, I mean, to begin with. Or it just implodes massively, which is yeah. worth remembering. Uh, again, not trying to like throw salt in the wound here, but like we're not far removed from Tottenham sort of being a, they're changing the manager again and yeah. again and again. My guess is that Mourinho turns it around this season mm-hmm. enough to get them either actually in or challenging for the Champions yeah. League spots, which is what the Daniel Levy decision is all about, yeah. as you said at the top. Mm-hmm. Right? Long term, we don't know, but I think short term, it's a good hire. It's also, and this is maybe testament to Pochettino, 
it's sort of the most high-profile managerial hire in Tottenham's history, yep. right? What Pochettino and Daniel Levy have done in the last few years is elevate Spurs to the point where they're the type of club that a guy like Jose Mourinho, and look at the other clubs he's been in charge mm-hmm. of, would really want that job, yep. right? It's not so long ago they were hiring like Martin Yole. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And I think <laughs> the two people that uh, Daniel Levy wanted before he got Pochettino, I think Pochettino was third choice behind Frank De Boer and Louis Van Gaal. Right. So, yeah, again, some of their managerial approaches were maybe not as inspired as yeah. they were. Well, Van Gaal would have been a big get at the mm-hmm. time, right? He's the type of high-profile coach I'm talking about, but yeah. maybe there's a reason they didn't get him last time. But Indeed. They, they, got, uh, they got Mourinho this yeah. time. Yeah, but this is his first team that qualified twice for the Champions League in the 22 seasons before Mauricio Pochettino took over. He got them there four of the last five seasons. So... Uh, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, that's what Spurs are now. They're an expected Champions League team. They yeah. were not that in 2014. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think it's sad whenever a manager uh, loses his job. It will be fascinating to see Jose Mourinho at Spurs. And I would assume that Pochettino will not be out of work. Uh, basically, I think he'll be out of, out of work as long as he wants to be out of work. If he yeah. takes some time to re- recuperate and takes the rest of the season off, I'm going to guess he'll get some offers this summer. But maybe he already has a couple offers, say, yeah. from a club named Bayern Munich. Yeah, I'm, I don't get, let's not go into it too yeah. much. But mm-hmm. yeah, Bayern Munich or Real Madrid are probably two destinations. Those mm-hmm. are not bad destinations for someone who just got fired. I also think Ed Woodward is now making a lot more like furtive glances at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Like, are, are you the one I want? Because <laughs> the guy that I've always wanted, I now don't have to pay for. So we'll see what happens there, too. We will see what mm-hmm. happens Which to say he'll end up at Real Madrid or Bayern Munich. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Time, time for a new story from me. Uh-huh. What you got? Um, a story I really wanted to talk about on the show, but there was just no time because we're so focused on the U.S. national team. The Raheem Sterling, mm-hmm. Joe Gomez incident uh, with England. Okay. I think in a weird way, when it first happened, I was obviously very concerned. I think it's become a positive story okay. in many, many ways. So for those who didn't see, um, Sterling of Man City and Joe Gomez of Liverpool got into it a little bit towards the end of Liverpool's win over City in the Premier League. Um, then when they met up for England duty before the game against Montenegro, uh, Sterling was already there. Gomez came in and I think like leaned over the back of him to shake his hand and say mm-hmm. hello. And Sterling like got into yeah. it with him. I think asked him, are you still the big man kind of thing? Hmm. Essentially, there was some leftover anger from, from hmm. that game. Um, Southgate, this is the part I like, Southgate shut it down mm-hmm. by just say, by just, the whole thing was apparently like five to ten seconds, right? But Southgate made the decision, all right, we can't have this like um, uh, club rivalry stuff coming into the England setup. Uh, I'm going to just not make Sterling available for selection for the Montenegro game. It's exactly what he did. Just hmm. gave him a, essentially an internal one-game suspension. Sterling sat and watched from the stands while Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford um, helped England run riot on Montenegro one seven nil. There we go. Sterling reacted really well, right? He met, like made clear um, on social media that like him and Joe Gomez are good. He understands. He's still like fully behind England. Um, there was no sulking from Raheem Sterling. Um, England fans booed Joe Gomez. This is what I'm confused by, and I wanted to hear a little bit more about if you have any ideas. I mean, I think this is just like maybe some Man City fans who are taking sides or maybe some England fans who are taking sides between maybe our best and most creative player versus a not even first choice for England centre-back. Yeah. So they decided to take sides and boo someone. And this is my favourite part about this. Afterwards, Joe, uh, sorry, Raheem Sterling, mm-hmm. again, he's back on social media saying... Hey guys, <laughs> calm it down. Me and Joe Gomez are good. There's no need for you to be booing. Don't do that. Yeah, right. Because all due disrespect to Man City, but like their fans, I don't think of as like being the most uh, traveling. Yes, I said disrespect. Um, so I was wondering then, like, is the entire stadium Man City fans? That's a weird occurrence, but it probably does make more sense that they, like, England fans, have maybe finally come to embrace Raheem Sterling yeah. as one of their, if not their, most important players. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you back him, you side with him, you give him your support. Why that has to mean we boo the other guy? I'm not sure. Uh, but I like the Sterling's life. 
put a stop to that. Yeah. And then I like even, but I like even more the idea that Southgate really put a stop to any of this club rivalry stuff happening mm. because that has been the curse of England for a long, long time, right? And that, that's not just me imagining it. Do you remember that famous clip semi recently, maybe a year or two ago, of Rio Ferdinand and Frank Lampard mm. talking about how one of the failings of the quote golden generation of England players that had guys like Lampard, Gerrard, Ferdinand was that it was still a bit clicky. When they all met up for England duty, the Man United players stuck together, the Chelsea players stuck together, the Arsenal mm-hmm. players stuck together, the Liverpool players stuck together. And in, because there was that big rivalry at the time, right? And I think one of the secret blessings of the last few years for England is that there hasn't been two big teams going at it for the title, mm-hmm. right? So there hasn't been an obvious big rivalry. So the England players didn't bring that with them. But in the last two years, the obvious rivalry has become... Man City, Liverpool. Yeah, those are the those are the two big teams going for the title. They both have a lot of England players on them, so I think there is a danger that it becomes two camps in the within the England team, and then you've got trouble, right? So Southgate has put a stop to this as early as possible, and the players have responded positively, and then England won seven nil, and then they won four nil against Kosovo with Sterling back in the team. That's decent. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> I think it's honestly a really stormy waters yeah. weathered and navigated expertly by Gareth Southgate. I have a question for you about this. Yeah. How much do you credit social media with how integrated that that England team is? Because I do feel like we see a lot more of either like players commenting on each other's Instagrams or occasionally posting together, and that's yeah. players from across teams, like not from the yeah. same team, just like like enjoying each other's stuff, but more of that spread. And I do wonder if social media allows them to be a bit more connected yeah, in a true. more passive sort of way. Yeah, I don't think it's the main reason, yeah. but it does mean that you can have like you can be miles and miles and miles away mm-hmm. and still have an interaction with an England teammate, yeah. even though you're on different club teams. Right. So yeah, I would bet more important is the stuff we don't see, like maybe an England football team WhatsApp group. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and uh, Harry Maguire on a unicorn? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but that is a symbol of like the joy that was around an England team in 2018 that we never, ever used to see. I just want to note that MLS has totally permeated my brain because all I wanted to say there was Harry Ship. And I was like, I know it's not Harry Ship. <laughs> I know that it's not who's the starting center back for England and Man United. It took me a minute. But he was in the water, so he might be a ship. You never know. <laughs> you never know, Daryl. All right, give me another story. What haven't we talked about, Taylor, over the last week or so? Uh, we haven't really talked about Euros at all, Euro qualifying and how we've come to an end. Sort of. Uh, oh, I should have mentioned, mm-hmm. by the way, England qualified for Euro 2020. They certainly did. <laughs> uh, the pots are now mostly compete for, uh, complete for the Euro 2020 draw. Yeah. We've got four teams that still have to be split into their respective playoff groups. Then we'll have the playoffs, but we've got yeah. a lot of teams. 20 teams thus far have uh, qualified directly. Four spots are still so open. So 20 out of 24 mm-hmm. are qualified. The remaining four are through the Nations League playoffs, right, which will it. happen in March. Go on, Scotland. Go on, Scotland, indeed. Um, your top six seeds, which uh, brought about some confusion from uh, people on Twitter, were Belgium, England, Italy, Germany, Spain, and Ukraine. And that right. was where some people were maybe scratching their heads. Yeah, because, you, you know, France. You didn't say France, and right. France are the World Cup holders. That is odd, right? Uh, I looked it up. Basically, it's because seeding for this tournament is entirely based on qualifying performance. Where I then got confused, I was like, well, but like uh, Ukraine have 20 points, France have 25, 25 is more than 20, so then I was confused, but it's because the groups are uneven, some teams have five team groups, some teams have six team groups, when you're comparing the two, you have to drop the results against the weakest team in there. I see. Uh, Spain obviously picked up some points against, I, or excuse me, uh, France ha- had to drop the points against, I think it was like Malta or something, which took them more from 25 to 19. Oh, no, not more importantly, but goal difference gets dropped as well mm-hmm. there, right? With yeah. some big wins. I think yeah. Spain had Malta. I forget who the bad one was in, in France's group, the but bad yeah. One. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, but it was Belgium, uh, I think the best performing team, even dropping their six points because they were in a six-team group. They had 24 points. They won points. every game, right? Didn't yep. Belgium and Italy both just win mm-hmm. 10 out of 10? Yep. Yeah. And then the third best team, 
England. There you are, my friend. All right, there you England are. England in part one. Mm-hmm. So for people who aren't following this, this is important because when the actual Euro 2020 um, group stages are drawn, mm-hmm. part one is like you're the, the top team in each group, right? And now it means that France, because they're not in part one, they could be drawn into a group with England or Belgium. or So France could end up with a really, really dangerous mm-hmm. team in that group. Right. Yeah. And then with the remaining four spots and that we talked versa. about, and vice versa, exactly. With the remaining spots that we talked about, you have essentially like four four-team groups, uh, but like all of those are essentially instantly into semifinals. This is, well, this is what, sorry, the Nations League playoffs. Exactly. Yes. So uh, like path A, you don't have uh, finalized yet. You basically have Iceland and then three of Bulgaria, Israel, Hungary, Romania. But like as an example, one group that is finalized, path B, Bosnia, Slovakia, Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland. I think Bosnia playing Northern Ireland, Slovakia playing Republic of Ireland, and then the winner of those two plays each other. Yeah. Whoever wins that one is the qualifier so for the Euros. It's worth making clear to people, they're not group stages, right? Right. It's like they're paths because they immediately go to semi-finals exactly. with four teams. So it's path, not group, yeah. It's going to be exciting in mm-hmm. March. I'm going to enjoy watching those games. I also like en- I said, go on Scotland. Yes, go on <laughs> Scotland. I also enjoyed we're going to be doing a uh, pro-rel show for Soccer 101, which yes. will require different terms for like conferences and brackets and divisions. Uh-huh. And I like path being yeah. utilized. You, That's you a new see one. that? That's yours now. I'm not using that one at all because it still confuses <laughs> me. But I, I, I like that it clarifies that it's not a group stage, round-robin sort of situation. Can we go back to the, the pots and the, sure. the seeding? Mm-hmm. Um, can I assume that you don't like this idea of using the Euro qualifying points and results to then seed teams? I don't know. To me, it seems any system that has the World Cup champions yeah. who've just done everything they can and mm-hmm. won, their, won their Euro qualifying group. Yeah, they didn't really struggle. Being the second part, seems like there's a flaw in the system. Yeah, and Why not all... just use FIFA rankings, for example? Uh, I guess maybe just because the argument then is like you're not like rewarding performance, but then to your point, you're not really rewarding, rewarding World Cup performance yeah. with this one. This strikes me as similar to the CONCACAF Nations League, mm-hmm. um, the, the Nations League draw yep. that ended with like Jamaica in League B and Cuba in League A mm-hmm. because they just had, had an odd an odd system of ranking. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd little uh, system that they've come up with, but I guess it's the one that then you kind of remove everything else and it's just like, did you do well in qualifying? And I guess some did well that, like, more well than others. <laughs> more well. Weller, if you it's, prefer. The weird thing is, though, I feel like the FIFA rankings, they fixed them in 2018 yep. or they made them better. And then all these confederations have started saying, yeah, but we're going to use some wacky other system instead. It's a little strange. Yeah. It's a little strange, yes. <sighs> uh, but we've got, yeah, as we said, 20 automatic qualifiers. We'll talk some more about some of those teams, I'm going to assume, in just a little bit. Okay, so three news stories mm-hmm. down, many more to go because there, there were a lot of stories happening over the last few days. But first, today's show is sponsored by Feels. Mm-hmm. Feels is a better way to feel better. It is premium CBD oil to keep your head clear and help you feel your best. Right. Did your, uh, the Euro team that you most support, did they fail to qualify automatically? Do they, ne- do they now have a stressful uh, <laughs> series of games that they have to win in order to make it? Maybe give, you're give you anxiety? Yeah, maybe you've got some anxiety, some sleeplessness, maybe even some physical pain because you're so anxious about this. <laughs> well, CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and Feels' premium CBD will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. Um, I've mentioned this before, but mm-hmm. my wife had some uh, sciatica, right. which is extremely painful. Mm-hmm. CBD was the only, and it was Feels, was the only thing that could get her to um, have have some restful sleep uh, for a few hours. Yeah, uh, it's your wife and Polly Shore from Biodome. Those are the only there two people go. in the world who ever had sciatica. <laughs> Is that right? No. No, it's not. But I'm glad it works for her, and it does work naturally. <laughs> Nor should you, but maybe you should. It's Stephen Baldwin before he became a whole thing. Okay. Uh, feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high hangover or addiction, so you can use it without any of those fears. Uh, Joe Biden might think that marijuana is a gateway drug, but <laughs> CBD that, will not it? be that. Oh, Joe Biden, you uh-huh. old man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
It is also mm-hmm. perfectly legal in yep. all 50 states. Mm-hmm. Perfectly, perfectly legal. They wouldn't be selling it. They wouldn't be advertising on TSS if it wasn't. No, they probably would not. <laughs> so you can become a member today mm-hmm. by going to feels.com slash TSS and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash TSS to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. What was that URL one more time, Tyler? Feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash TSS. Thank you very much to Feels for sponsoring today's episode, for making uh, European fans feel better, for making girls <laughs> wife feel better daryl uh we've done three news stories what have we got next i want to talk about wales golf madrid all right in that order <laughs> do you know about this story i certainly do so uh gareth wales fans have been singing to celebrate gareth bale wales golf madrid and it all goes back to a pedrag miatovic quote so pedrag miatovic is former real madrid player current sporting director so this summer when um, they were sort of trying to get rid of Gareth Bale, who's on a high salary, but they're trying to get him out the door. They were questioning his commitment to Real Madrid. And Miatovic said, I think it's Wales, Golf, and Madrid in that order, right? So if you're a Wales fan, you, you've just heard that your, your mm-hmm. national team is you're ranked two places above Real Madrid. So they've started singing, Wales, Golf, Madrid, Wales, Golf, Madrid, Wales, Golf, Madrid, well constantly while Gareth Bale is playing for Wales, right? So there's just this like, great fan. It's the new Will Griggs on fire, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's got that weird sense of humor to it. You know who I'm going to assume didn't love that chance so much? What's that? Real Madrid. They did not. And they would have liked it even less um, after the most recent Euro 2020 qualifier. Wales needed to win to qualify. They went into the game against Hungary one point behind Hungary mm-hmm. in the final game at home. They won 2-0, so they qualified for Euro 2020. The real headline here is Wales have qualified for Euro Mm -hmm. 2020, but they did so while singing that song with Gareth Bale getting the assist on Mm -hmm. the first goal with Aaron Ramsey. He burned a left back, cut back, sent in a perfectly precise cross for Aaron Ramsey to head home. At the end of the game, Gareth Bale was pictured celebrating with his teammates with a Wales flag that had printed on it, Mm. Wales, Golf, Madrid at the top, and in that order, yeah. at the bottom. Mm-hmm. This has become a thing Madrid are not going to be happy. No, I would assume not. Because like, like going back to uh, Tottenham and Pochettino for a moment, in the, that athletic story, there was a st- an anecdote about how like four players had been asked to like like make a goofy comment about Mauricio Pochettino's weird hair when he was a player. And no one really wanted to because there was this idea like he was going to he- hear it and get mad at them and then there'd be punishments. I think if things are good and everybody's ha- hunky-dory, then he doesn't care if you're making fun of his hair. And I would say same thing here. If Gareth Bale were killing it for Real Madrid and had really really cemented himself in Zidane's plans and everything was great and then he had that flag it would be sort of a funny reference to a days gone by Mm -hmm. whereas instead it feels like no it sort of is actually the way he kind of prioritizes things well here's what makes it worse Mm. Um, he played for Wales in October in a Euro 2020 qualifier um, was injured when he went back to Madrid hasn't played for Madrid since his next game after that Wales October qualifier was the next game back for Wales. Mm -hmm. So he's just been injured for Madrid, but able to play for Wales, which honestly may be just a coincidence or maybe like an injury management type thing. But it it just makes it look true, right? The Wales Golf Madrid Mm -hmm. thing. So yeah, I would expect that this might be the thing that gets Bale out the door in January. I'll be honest, though, the way that he's been treated at Real Madrid, I kind of like Bale's like, yeah, so what attitude. I saw them, you know issue, I think it was Madrid issued a statement saying like he is our most important player, or he is like our highest profile player and we will stick with him and he will be a key player for us again. And it felt for all the world like a like statement that was written by a computer or artificial <laughs> intelligence like three seasons ago. Yeah. Less so these days. The newspapers are not happy. I saw Mm-mm. a couple of headlines from, I can't remember if it's Ass or Marca, I want to mm-hmm. say it's Marca, that were 
essentially saying it's very disrespectful for him to be holding that flag. I have, a, I have another Wales question for you. Yeah. Uh, can, we, can we go away from Gareth Bale for a moment? We can. I've got a couple more things I want to get to. Oh, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead then. All right. Please. So uh, the other thing is Wales fans have enjoyed this Wales Golf Madrid thing so much. They've come up with another chant for another player. Okay. Any guesses? I'm going to assume it's something to do with Aaron Ramsey? No, it's Joe Allen. Okay. Um, and for Joe Allen, the song that Wales fans were singing was Wales Chickens Stoke. Okay. Wales Chicken Stoke. What's the Chicken Stoke? I mean, Stoke I get. Stoke is who he plays for. Uh-huh. Wales is the national team. Um, Joe Allen runs a chicken sanctuary with his wife. They rehome, Joe Pirlo. They rehome commercial chickens. He's the best. So after chickens have been involved in like, commercial farming yeah. for eggs, I assume, um, they take them in and give them a nice, happy life. <laughs> no, no, they're actually growing corn. It's a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> they take them in and give them a nice, happy life. Mm-hmm. I looked into this. See, is this true? It's absolutely true. Joe Allen was on the cover of Chicken and Egg magazine in 2016. What? What? He was the cover. How story. am I just finding out about this? I love Joe Allen. Yep, that's amazing. Wales right. chickens Stoke. <laughs> that makes me very happy. What else? <laughs> the other thing is just like looking at this Wales team. Um, it's kind of a classic Wales team with you know some championship players yep. here and there, um, but also. The wings for Wales now are Gar- this is Ryan Giggs' Wales team, by mm-hmm. the way. Gareth Bale on one side, Danny James on the other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that, a team worth watching at Euro 2020. This right? kind of goes back to what I was going to ask you because you say that it's like it's it's some championship players in there, and I look at it again, and you've got a Juventus player, you've got Leipzig, you've got Man United, you've got two Man United players yeah. there in the form of youngsters. You've got Real Madrid. Like, there's a lot right. of high profile there, and there's some championship players, and there's some championship yeah. players there. But here's my question: With all that said. Like Wales in a group with Croatia, uh, Slovakia, Hungary, Azerbaijan, finishing second but only managing to do so on the very last day. Mm-hmm. I've seen Gloriously some people so. true, but I've seen some people sort of speculate on like why was that the case though? Like with some of the talent they have, shouldn't they have qualified much more uh, easily than they did? So I see this differently because mm-hmm. I've paid you know passing attention mm-hmm. to a Wales team my entire life. Like when I was young, and it's like the early nineties. I remember having this question in my head. Wales have Ian Rush, Dean Saunders, mm. Mark Hughes, like three of the best strikers in, in British football, and yet they're never qualifying for tournaments. They, and they had like some other like decent players like Clayton Blackmore who played for uh, Manchester United. Um, you know what I'm saying? Neville Southall was the mm. goalkeeper. Everybody knew Neville Southall, famous Everton goalkeeper. But it was the same situation where they didn't have an entire 11 of top-class players. They were mixed in with sort of second-tier players. And I, th- I actually think it's quite hard to get that mix right. Um, and so it's only going to work intermittently. And that's mm. why Euro 2016 was a rare appearance at the tournament finals for Wales. And I don't think it should be expected that they always make it just because they have a bunch of names that people know. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's fair. I, 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 I just look at some of those names and then I look at the man who's in charge of them. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a correlation with them maybe not doing as well as they could have. See, I'd but say then, they're overachieving for historically how Wales have done. I mean, yeah. If you're yeah. going historically, that is probably yes. the case. That is probably the yeah. case. All right. There but, we it's, but it's not even like Wales have like a higher top end than maybe they did in the past, right? Like Ian Rush, Mark Hughes, these are like incredible strikers from the 90s. It's the same as having like Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey right now. I suppose. Yeah. I, I, I do think that squad is, is probably better than the, the Euro squad of four years ago, looking at it just on paper. Oh, that's interesting. You've got some of those same names, yes, four years older, but still, like Aaron Ramsey now moving to Juve and seems to be more than a little bit happy mm-hmm. to be playing there, at least happier than he was at Arsenal maybe. Yeah, so that's true. I do still think you've got some of that same talent and then some other young players who've come through to fill some some ranks, but yep. we'll see. If they, uh, if they make it into the knockout round the way they did last time, then I will stop being pessimistic about Ryan Giggs. Well, as long as Joe Allen isn't too distracted by his, um, his, his chicken sanctuary, they'll... 
Well, it's destroyed. Wales chicken stoke, right? Yeah. So at least Wales are a priority. Yeah, yeah. It's stoke that needs to work. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else we got, Taylor? What else have we missed? Uh, I'm going to take us uh, away from Europe to a country with a European connection. Okay. I'm going to say uh, congratulations to Suriname and that maybe Suriname are good. That's a thing I missed. CONCACAF? You got it. Okay. Uh, promoted to League A of the CONCACAF Nations League, qualified for their first ever gold cup. They topped uh, Group D of League B ahead of St. Vincent, Nicaragua, and Dominica, which is... You know, again, not the like biggest uh, opponent, the strongest opposition. Can I just pause to say, in mm-hmm. your face, Christian Polanco. As well, you should. As well, you should. <laughs> yeah, Dominican fans were uh, not loving it. I think it's Dominican and Dominican Republic might be two different things. Oh, so. excuse me. Yes. Yeah. My apologies to everybody involved. I mean, unless I'm wrong, in which case you owe no one an apology. <laughs> but I think um, there's two names that I want to kind of like focus on from this one or do the best I can. One of them is uh, Gliophilo Wilter. You can get the Dutchness of that name as best you can. You say it as if I'm not familiar with him. Of course, yeah. He's a 12 well, I'm just going to give you some background then. Yeah, uh, tw- uh, t- I mean, I know, but just say yeah. it just so our listeners can hear 20-year-old uh, forward for Aris uh, Limassol, but he was born in Suriname. So he is sort of representative of a lot of, of the way Suriname has been in the past, which is players who were born and live in Suriname, most of whom play in Suriname. Uh, Gliofilo has 10 goals and six appearances, all of those in the Nations League, so that's decent. And like that is kind of where they've been in the past. The difference is uh, another name, Nigel Hasselbank. Does that sound familiar to you? Half of it does. Mm, Jimmy's nephew. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's nephew. His nephew's called Nigel. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he got his first two caps uh, in these two Nations League games, scored a goal. And the reason why is because there was a long-standing rule that in order for uh, Dutch like, players born in the Netherlands, uh, people who live in the Netherlands, to represent Suriname, to like basically declare their eligibility for the Suriname national team, they had to give up their Dutch citizenship. Oh wow! It's and and essentially that was what limited Curacao from calling in those types of players. That's what yeah. limited Suriname from doing the same. Curacao, I guess, had that relaxed a couple years ago, which is why we started to see them start to improve a little bit over the last year or so. Yeah. And now Suriname have or Curacao have done that. Now Suriname have embraced that I too. See. So you're going to start seeing more Dutch players who have the connection because it's worth noting. There's a lot of them. This is going to improve CONCACAF, right? Yeah, I did not realize. Like, I knew, like, Clarence Sadoff, for example, I think was born in Suriname. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, like, past Dutch players, Patrick Clivert, Edgar Davids, Ruud Hullet, Nigel de Jong, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, Ryan Babel, Virgil van Dijk, Gigi Wijnaldum, all have connections to Suriname. Mm -hmm. Not saying any of those would have played for Suriname in the past, but I do think you're going to have that second-tier player. Do you think Van Dijk's going to do a one-time switch? Probably not. (laughs) But I do think you'll have that maybe second or third tier of player who know they're never going to make the Dutch national team, but look at, like, yeah, yeah, Suriname. That's where my family's from. Like, I'll go back there and represent Mm -hmm. them. I'll maybe make it to a Gold Cup. I'll get some international experience. It'll be really cool. So I think you're going to start seeing Suriname, similar to Curaçao, start increasing their standing in CONCACAF and their quality overall. Honestly, just selfishly, has someone who... I'm going to say has to watch a lot of CONCACAF football. Mm-hmm. Um, I, anything that improves the standard in CONCACAF, yeah. I'm all for. Yeah, yeah, as am I. So, But I think I'm, I'm excited to see Suriname. And I would just, like, we're going to keep reiterating this because if the U.S. draws them and if they're a tougher opponent and we hear people say, like, that's this tiny nation, they never have even made it before, I will respond with, that is correct. And it is telling that they're here now because <laughs> now they've made it because they're getting a little bit better. So they're in League A next time mm-hmm. we do the CONCACAF Nations League. And did you say they qualified for the Gold Cup? They did, exactly, so we'll get by, a look by at winning them. their group. Mm-hmm. In 2021, you got is it. the next Gold Cup. You are correct, my friend. All right, you are correct, my friend. Nigel Hasselbank. Mm-hmm. Is it Nigel Floyd Hasselbank or just Nigel just Hasselbank? Nigel Hasselbank? There's there's uh, there's a couple Hasselbanks. I think uh, Gliofilo Vliter Vliter also has he has Hasselbank in his name. He also has Riedewald in his nickname. So I'm okay. wondering if those are just like traditional Dutch names more so than I realized. I don't know. It's like Smith over there. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I've got one last – unless you've got anything else on mm-hmm. Suriname. Nope. Um, okay, I've got one last Euro story for you. Please. And I would say it's the big one. Mm-hmm. It's Finland. <laughs> 
Finland. Have, I would say that it's not the big one, but it is the big narrative. Yeah, it absolutely is because Finland have qualified for Euro 2020. It's going to be their first ever major tournament. Right on. And I want to play a guessing game with you, Taylor, if you don't mind. Um, how many previous attempts? Timu Puki. How many previous attempts? He's the answer to a lot of uh-huh. questions. How many previous attempts at qualifying for a major tournament, which is basically Euro's World Cup? Do you think Finland have made before this successful attempt? How many ha- times have they tried? Yeah. So it's, it's, this is one of those questions where it's either like, none, this was their first chance. It's or, not that. They've, or been, they've been trying, let's put it that way. 20. 32. <laughs> That's a lot. That's this a lot. Is their, this was their 33rd attempt at qualifying for a major tournament, and they finally made it, finishing second um, in the group just behind Italy. Well, not just behind, because Italy got 30 points. Finishing second in the group behind Italy. Oh, man. <laughs> That's, that feels like the, uh, the Trace Camos guy from Silicon Valley who's like, now I've, got, like, I've in, like, increased my value by over $4 million in 10 years. And they're like, well, interest alone would have done that. I feel like, <laughs> like just luck alone at some point they should have qualified. But I guess here we are. Finland have found their way through. They have found their way through. Mm-hmm. And they qualified with a game to spare. So there were two, uh, two games this match window. Their first game, they beat Liechtenstein 3-0. That's what did it. Then they lost to Greece, but it kind of didn't matter because they were already... <laughs> that must have been torture for Greece, by the way. Yeah. Um, Greece went into that like in uh, third place in the group, but too mm-hmm. many points behind Finland to catch them. And then they beat them. That's heartbreaking for Greece. I was going through looking at the kind of like quote unquote big big teams that do not have any way of qualifying for the Euros anymore. And it does seem that Greece were the only ones who were sort of like have been there before, have somewhat like of of prestigious reputation, but in this case, eliminated by the Finns. Eliminated by the Finns will be making their first appearance at a major tournament. And of course it was all about Timo Puki, Mm. right? Timo Puki scored uh, nine goals. In the qualifiers, he was obviously uh, their top scorer. And I had a quick look at how they play, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit Icelandy in that it's a bit of a basic Uh 4-4-2, 4-4-1-1 type thing. But it's very much a good example. And this is like some limited footage that I had time to watch this morning, basically. So don't don't trust me too much, but trust me a little bit. Um, It seems like Finland have got a setup where they know who their star player is, right? It's the guy who's scoring goals in the Premier League, Mm -hmm. Timo Brugge. Um, And it's all set up to benefit him. Um, and I remember this because I remember uh, the Norwich uh, coach and some some technical staff at Norwich talking about the way we get the best out of Timo Puki is we don't cross the ball into the box room. We don't send long balls for him to chase. Everything is about getting balls on the floor for him to run onto or for him to like meet as he's coming into the box as we cross it in low. Finland are doing the same thing. Like I watched, I deliberately took chunks and chunks of footage, almost no crosses. Everything is about getting low balls in to the box for Timo Puki to, to get on the end of that way. Or it's about going forward and trying to slip Timo Puki through. So it's okay. all concentrated on this one star player, which I think makes it really interesting. And then we'll make it a really good narrative for Euro 2020 when the broadcasters, guessing what, ESPN and TUDN. You know, it's like when there's a small team, they like to focus on yep. the one famous player. You'll focus on the one famous player, but then it's also what the team is doing. So I yeah. think it'll be, a, it'll be a nice a nice team to watch at Euro 2020. That seems like it would be very easy to defend against. Obviously, it has not been because they have qualified automatically. He keeps moving. That's the problem. Is. So I would see him stand on the shoulder of a defender ready for a ball over the top, or he would come deep and get a quick touch, and he'd lay it off to someone and then continue his run in like a big uh, mm. a big like circle to then get in behind. Like It's easy to say, oh, we'll shut Timo Puki down. But if he keeps running around and moving, he makes it really hard. That's why he's a really effective player. If you had to guess based on what you've seen and what you've read, are they more likely to be like an exciting, interesting team at the Euros? Or are they going to be another Albania, Northern Ireland, Iceland, like sitting in, being defensive, and then maybe getting a goal on the counter, and then sitting in and bunkering for the rest of the game? So every time I looked at them, I deliberately tried to look at them against Italy and Greece Mm -hmm. as well. Because, yeah, they were beating up on teams like Liechtenstein. They weren't like... 
really far back and compact, right? So I don't think it's going to be hyper defensive. So I don't, I don't think it'll be that frustrating. It certainly won't be like Northern Ireland. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's good. And they don't have Will Griggs, so that won't help them either. Uh-uh. Unless uh. he can follow one time switch. Yeah, I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows at this point, Mr. Grove? So there you go. Finland have qualified for the Euros by playing to Timo Puki's strength. Oh, one thing worth noting, there was a viewing party in Norwich City Centre. Hey. So they honoured their, their star striker by having a viewing party to watch Finland Liechtenstein. Imagine that on a big screen in Norwich City Centre. I have a hard time, and I have a hard time believing that I would be really excited about that. Although I suppose if you're a Norwich fan or a Timo Puki fan, maybe you yeah. get a little bit uh, up for that one. And if you're an Alan Park, Partridge fan, which uh-huh. I'm guessing most people who listen to the show aren't, but there's going to be like five people uh-huh. maybe who are Alan Partridge fans, you'll know that it would have been much easier to watch that game after the pedestrianisation of Norwich City Centre. <laughs> that's, that's a deep cut, my friend. <laughs> it's a deep cut. I'm sure we'll get you'll, – you'll get one tweet that like applauds, like it's the, yeah. it's the like DiCaprio applauding or whomever it is. You'll in get the, that one. In the Venn diagram, do you think there's anyone who's pro-OA and pro-Alan Partridge? Yeah, you. <laughs> it's just me. Yeah. Just me alone in my Venn diagram. I'm sure there's other ones out there. I'm sure you'll hear about it. Um, but before we hear about it, we should probably talk about today's sponsor, our friends over at Hims, a new wellness brand for men. Forhims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men. We should note Timu Puki could maybe listen to this ad and benefit from it because 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. He is a man who I feel like has, uh, has been doing some thinning. I think he goes, yeah, he's, he shaves his head a lot when uh-huh. it grows in. He's, got, he's mostly got his hair there, yeah. but I think it's maybe starting to recede at the side. First of all, bit. I'm not throwing any stones here because glass yeah. houses and receding hairlines uh-huh. don't throw stones. But you're not going to be on national television in the summer of 2020, right? I mean, Global television in the summer I mean, of 2020. Like, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You think we might get a presenting job for the nah, Euros? it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. So I will not be, but maybe he will be, and maybe yeah. he doesn't want to have to deal with yeah. like the unsightly bald spot that he didn't know was there, but suddenly uh-huh. uh, he, he like catches and sees and then maybe that throws his yeah. entire game off he sees it on the big screen he's like what I've got that going on and then that's always focused on he loses focus Finland are built around him Finland crash out we don't want that Daryl well he's got seven months to fix it how okay. could he do it I, I'm going to guess that what he could do is utilize Hims because Hims is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed physicians and FDA approved products to help treat hair loss that means he doesn't have to do awkward in-person visits he doesn't have to take time away from his busy playing schedule and training instead he can be connected uh, via for hims online with real doctors which saves him hours it's also completely confidential and discreet so no one's going to find out about it and then when he uh, shows up at the euros with a full head of hair ready to go and scores a billion goals and gets golden boot we'll know why oh we won't know why if it's confidential right everyone will just be like wow qualifying we'll just be like what a thick head of hair he's got and he's scoring goals qualifying for the euros makes your hair grow back exactly i did actually while you were talking i was listening Mm -hmm. i promise but i went and just checked a photo of timo pookie just to make sure and yeah you're right like he's He's holding on right now, but you can just see yeah. that he's like he's got a little know, he's got a little Costanza happening. He's one bad week away from mm-hmm. it being really visible. <laughs> which 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 is where it's one stressful living. event away. Yeah. Because it's because it is about like uh, male the male pattern aspect of the baldness, yes. and that's what he's got. He's got the sort of like hair hair on the cr- like on the the forehead, but then he's yeah. got the kind of balding crown, mm-hmm. and that's what Hims is specifically designed to help treat. So Timu Pugi or our listeners uh, could try Hims today by starting out with a free online visit. Go to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's f o r h i m s dot com slash total soccer. One more time, forhims.com slash total soccer. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you were asking me to do it. Never. But I will ask you to read the rest of the uh, the copy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, the fun bit. <laughs> uh-huh. um, 
Can you can you do it like the uh, the commercial guy? I can't. I'm not even going to try. Um, I'm going to do it so that so that Timu can understand. Okay. It. Um, prescription products are subject to doctor approval and require an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate for your Euro 2020 needs. See website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went in person to the doctor's office or pharmacy. But remember, instead you can go to forhims.com slash total soccer. Uh, thank you very much to Four Hymns for sponsoring today's episode. I will say, Daryl, I think Timu Buki is going to have difficulty understanding that because how, uh, Hollywood has taught me that if you're going to do uh, like like the the native speech of a person, you have to do it in English with that bad accent to go with it. You didn't oh, even attempt a bad Finnish accent, I'm so sorry. I'm not sure he'll be able to do it. If it helps, I am bad at finishing. <laughs> Uh, a man who is not bad at finishing is the man I want to talk about next. Let's do it. Uh, we didn't quite miss this one because it happened very recently, but we haven't talked about it. We're going to do it now. Diego Maradona walks away from uh, Gymnasia after taking over in September, completing his or continuing his pattern of leaving clubs in a fairly <laughs> short amount of time. So I did. Se- I quickly mm-hmm. looked at the story. Is Gymnasia in Argentina or you got Spain? It. Mm-hmm. Argentina. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, why did he leave? It's it's not quite as dramatic as we would have expected. Essentially, his main backer was club president uh, Gabriel Pellegrino. Uh, Diego said that if Pellegrino didn't win re-election, he would quit. Yeah. Elections happened. Pellegrino, I guess his voting block kind of fell apart, so he does not win. Diego Maradona then, a man of his word, question mark? Uh, he steps away from the club. It probably also maybe isn't coincidental that uh, Maradona lost uh, his first three games. He's won three of five cents, but they are still third from bottom, definitely flirting with relegation. My question... Question for you, Mr. Grove. I've got a little bit of a trivia question for you. Maradona has managed six clubs now in his entire career. That doesn't include Argentina. I'm having Wikipedia game flashbacks, yeah. but okay. Uh, how many has he managed for longer than a year of the six? Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. I don't want to pretend like I'm really knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. I happen to read a bit okay. of the story, so I think I know. Is it just the one? It at, is just the one. And it was in Saudi Arabia. It was in uh, UAE. UAE, yeah. excuse mm-hmm. me. And he was there for 14 months. Oh, and maybe I, I think it was UAE. It was Al Wasl. But I th- okay. But yeah, it, but maybe I'm also confused because after that he went to uh, Fujara, who's in the UAE second division, failed to secure a promotion. He lasted less than a year there. Uh, Dorados the same. And then I forgot that he managed a long time ago. He had uh, Textile Mandiu and Racing Club, 94-95. Those mm-hmm. didn't work out uh, either. So, yeah, he continues the pattern of moving on quickly to other things. I'm sorry that I ruined the quiz by, no, doing, it's great. by doing my homework. It's all good, man. It's all good. You did your homework, <laughs> and that's all that I can ask. But, yeah, I'm sure we'll see Diego Maradona pop up somewhere else, oh, somewhere no. random sometime soon. But each time he does, I don't have any hope that it's going to work out. No. It, has the, it slightly has the feel of, like, um, a publicity stunt signing. On yes. behalf of teams, as opposed to like, a, did, did you hear me name the clubs that he's managed? Yeah. Yes, yes, it instead of a like, oh, this is our long term plan, we're mm-hmm. gonna get things right. So it always like piques my interest, but then makes me sad. Yes, yeah, I mean, but it's also like it's not as though we're hearing stories about him going to coaching courses or studying under other managers or learning yeah. new approaches. Like, I it can make you sad, but also it's sort of him doing it to himself because he's not really trying to... It basically, it doesn't feel like he really wants to actually be a manager. He wants to be Diego Maradona and come in and have his, like, personality be the thing that drives everyone. Yeah. And when that doesn't really work, it kind of falls off the rails after that. Oh, I think the only time it could have worked was that World Cup where he mm-hmm. managed Argentina and just through force of personality and the talent available, maybe something magic might have happened. Yeah. But in the end, he, was, just far, he was far too attacking and <laughs> yeah. open yes. and didn't have any plan to deal with Germany, basically. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. But Diego Maradona in the news once again, yeah. not surprisingly. Oh, I'm going to ask you the question I've been asking you about once a month for a mm-hmm. while now. Have you seen the HBO documentary? Still have not, no. Diego mm-hmm. Maradona. No, that, right. it, it's, it's moved into that territory of that thing that I keep meaning to watch and then when I've got 
like 20 minutes free. I'm like, that seems like a commitment. And yeah. so instead I probably rewatched like an Office episode I've seen 46 <laughs> times. Oh, this has just reminded me. Hmm. Um, I meant to mention this when we talked about Pochettino at the top of the show. Do you know that there's, Amazon a, show? there's an Amazon Prime documentary tracking Spurs 2019-20 mm-hmm. season? This is going to be absolutely magnificent. Yeah, Jeff Bezos is even happier than he already was. I mean, because to be fair, that man needs money. And so at least he'll finally be able to see a little bit of a financial benefit from this documentary. It's great. It's great for him. I'm really happy. I'm sure all of Amazon's 2020 earnings are are based on the Spurs documentary. I definitely don't think we should storm that guy's house. Definitely don't think that. (laughs) He'll already be in space. This is true. Um, All right. I've got some some local (laughs) news for you. He actually has the time stone. We can get it from it. Uh, We've got a one in 14 million chance. Um, Okay. uh, I've got some local news for you. Mm. Local-ish. MLS All-Stars, um, in 2020, in July 2020, the opponent will be not a European team on a preseason tour. It will be the Liga MX All-Stars in Los Angeles um, at the LAFC Stadium. MLS All-Stars versus Liga MX All-Stars. There's part of me thinks, oh, this is like slightly cynical. It's part of like the SUM thing. It's part of like marketing mm-hmm. MLS and Liga MX. Is, it's part of the convergence of MLS and Liga MX that's definitely coming. But also, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Yeah. Uh, there's a decent chance we've been going to All-Star Games for the last two years now. Um, I'm, ho- I'm assuming we'll do the same. And with that in mind, to be totally honest, when I saw this news, I was like 75% really excited and 25% immediately tired and stressed out. Because I was just like, Because in the past, it's been European teams who are doing the preseason tour. And that means you get a few European journalists who are kind of sent over who don't really want to be there and they're kind of like there in the background enjoying the free uh, press box food because I guess it's crazy over here compared to in England. Mm-hmm. But in LA against the Liga Mekis All-Stars, it is just going to be the most fanfare I can possibly imagine. The press box is going to be swarmed. There's going to be a billion people everywhere. And I just sort of instantly was like, oh, there's going to be so many people. And it just gave me a little bit of a headache. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm excited, but there's a headache. Well, here's why I'm excited is um, from my experience of these mm-hmm. uh, All-Star games, until we went to one, I didn't fully understand that the game wasn't really that important. Yeah. It was more about all the events around it uh-huh. and like the marketing thing for the league and just people from the league gathering together to have conversations and talk about Major League Soccer. Yeah. you right? got to have the unintentional crossbar challenge. Right. Then there's, yeah, there's also the skills challenge, which was back last year. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was a good I, thing. I did too. Um, but it was always um, European team uh, preseason – Often, if there was a tournament the summer before, you're going to be missing the very big right. star name players. Like uh, in Atlanta, we saw MLS All Stars play Juventus, but it was 20, it was the summer of 2018. So a lot of players that had been involved at the World Cup, like Cristiano Ronaldo, were not there. Right, so sometimes you're missing the stars, and then other times. Even though the teams aren't taking it that competitively, say Atletico Madrid, they're still way better organized than the MLS All Stars. Mm-hmm. So you get the thing of um, a European team not taking it that seriously but also being really organized and beating MLS. Yeah, but Joe Felix being like, well, I'm going to show everybody why they yeah. paid a bunch of money for me. And honestly, watching Graham Zuzzi try to play his way out of a Diego Simeone Atletico Madrid press yeah. was kind of like, oh, no, do we really need this? No. Um, but here's the thing. It's MLS All-Stars versus Liga MX All-Stars. And I know they're going to market it this way. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm sort of falling for it, but it's also sort of real. There's a genuine competitiveness to it, right? Because the two teams are in the same situation mm. where they're, you know, they're not an actual team. They've just gathered together a couple of days before, maybe had one training session or whatever. But because they're both in the same situation, and you can argue like there's a pride in your league, this is an actual more. Com- this is actually a more competitive game, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm, I think this is a great, great idea. And then just in terms of the commercial aspect of it. We all know that the most popular league in the United States is Liga MX, right? The best viewing figures on United States television are for Liga MX games. Yep. So this game's for a domestic market. 
absolutely gigantic because you get all the MLS fans and all the Liga MX fans. And, and to your point, I do think you'll have them caring more than we've seen from some of those European teams in the past because what tends to happen, to your point, is you've got the stars that are there who maybe didn't play in a tournament so d- did show up are still like, yeah, but I'm a star and I'm not trying to kill myself yeah. in preseason. The ones who Even tend to Zlatan, go... Zlatan, we watched Zlatan. Mm-hmm. He hadn't played in a tournament, but he yeah. just walked for 30 minutes he during the last All-Star yeah. game, right? But like, but like uh, with Atleti players, with Juve players, it tends to be the players you haven't heard of who are desperately trying to prove they belong. Yeah. They're really going for it, and that's kind of exciting, but not as exciting as seeing uh, Liga Mekis All-Stars probably being a little bit motivated to beat, humiliate, go at uh, MLS mm-hmm. players, and MLS players the same. So I do think it will be a feistier affair. I'm assuming if it's in L.A., my assumption was that it was LAFC hosting. Yes. Yeah. So then it's going to be Bob Bradley in charge. I also expect Bob oh, Bradley. Oh, that works? Yeah. Oh, wow. The, ho- the, host, yes. yeah, the host cities, or host teams, coach coaches, um, which was interesting in Orlando. But for Bob Bradley, I'm pretty <laughs> pumped to see him because I believe he will be taking this one pretty seriously. It's also, I mentioned this earlier, it's a step forward in the MLS Liga MX cooperation, mm-hmm. right? There was the League Cup and the Campiones Cup. The League's Cup has expanded or will expand in 2020. We are another step closer to some sort of interleague play throughout the season or some um, combined playoff type system, maybe in a decade or so. I, I can f- see this coming. If I found out like 15 years from now that you were a like secret sleeper agent who was sent in to like help spread the idea of uh, Mexico and the United States merging when it comes to their soccer competitions, I wouldn't be surprised. Because I feel like you've been pushing the, let's get as many competitions, maybe we end up competing against them, maybe we end up in one league. But you understand I like that idea. They've suggested it already, mm-hmm. right? I've heard Don Garba, and I've forgotten the Mexican League president's name, I want to say it's like Bonner something, yep. I'm sorry. Um, they've talked about how essentially they're going to work together, right, as much as possible. And yeah. Campeones Cup, League's Cup, now this. I just think it's everything's another step towards that combined league. Listeners, Daryl is touching an earpiece in his ear is what I'm seeing. <laughs> I think he's getting some communications. He seems a little upset. I'm not sure. Some money just arrived in the door. Exactly. <laughs> it's in two different currencies. <laughs> I have questions, hey, Daryl. That's all I'm saying. Got to stay in business. Got to supplement my income and stay in business. Um, I've got another uh, qu- quick one that I wanted to get yeah, to because I was do. excited to see. Um, it, with the Women's World Cup, it tends to be sort of uh, in the past, that like kind of last-minute bidding or we're not entirely sure who it's going to be. For we still don't know who the hosts are going to be for 2023. I go back to after Canada when it was like, maybe it's going to be like somewhere in Africa. We're not really sure who it's going to be for 2019. It ends up being France. Obviously, this time around, uh, two countries that are looking into bidding together, potentially Australia and New Zealand in talks right. for a joint bid in 2023. Uh, Australia were initially pursuing a solo bid. Uh, then when the field expanded to 32 teams, uh, I think their math was that basically they went from needing six to eight stadiums yeah. to then eight to ten. And I think th- that uh, the time period coincides with lots of stadiums in the country being utilized for other sporting events. Mm-hmm. So then you kind of have to find ways around that. The way you find a way around that is to incorporate New Zealand, which seems to be what's going to happen. FIFA are expected to name the host city for the 2023 World Cup uh, in May of 2020. But I, as far as I know, uh, Australia and New Zealand, having not even bid yet, seem to be the most favorable bid at this point. Do you know if there are any other bids on the table? Uh, not that I saw. I'm sure there's like other ones out there, but like the three articles I looked at said nothing about that. So okay. here we are. So you're mm-hmm. expecting Australia and New Zealand? Yeah. I've never been. That might be a really good excuse to go. 
Yep, especially yeah. because I'm not so excited. I wasn't so excited about the uh, the 2018 World Cup in uh, Russia. I'm not really excited about the 2022 World Cup and traveling there. Mm-hmm. The 2020 Euros will be difficult because they're spread all over the place. So maybe 2023 Women's World Cup. Maybe that's where we finally uh, go to a big, big tournament, Daryl Grove. We'll start saving now in mm-hmm. the TSS budget. I like that plan. I like that plan. <laughs> Um, if you're saving up uh-huh. to uh, to maybe buy some gifts for the holiday season, maybe our next sponsor can help you out. Maybe um, they can. Today's show is sponsored by Talisman Caps. Obviously, you can find them at talismancaps.com. Come, mm-hmm. um, Talisman. You know they do the. Uh, they've got the great new five panel hats, and they've got some with the retro, the retro styling on them that we've talked about. Um, also, all kinds of uh, gifts and other accessories you can buy for people for the holidays. But it might not cost you anything mm-hmm. if you enter the Talisman giveaway. Let's talk about it. They're running a $1,000 gift card giveaway uh, now through November 22nd. It's worth noting that we're recording this on November 20th. you got two so days. This is it. This is the last time you'll hear mm-hmm. about it from us. You've got two days. I would say do this as soon as possible because yep. it's free to enter. And you could you can't win a straight 1000 right? No. Is it 10 Ten winners gifts uh, each receive a $100 uh, Talisman and Co. gift card. Listeners can sign up on the Talisman website, earn extra points for following Talisman on social media via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, tweeting about uh, the giveaway and taking their poll, Talisman's poll, to let uh, them know who you cheer for, who you support. Okay, so it sounds like you can sort of influence who Talisman chooses by by doing some social media It's possible. It's possible, yeah. Um, So we'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, the page where you can enter Mm -hmm. the Talisman Caps giveaway and you could win a $100 gift card. That would be good for... um, Two or three caps, right? Yep. So that you could maybe get one for yourself, maybe maybe a few for gifts. Yeah, exactly, yeah. because it is the kind of holiday season semi right around the corner. We've already got the Christmas music happening. Uh, and so you, if you're starting to do your shopping or if have you're you in really? The- I haven't heard of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, where, yeah. where have you been? Which uh, terrible places have you been that are playing Christmas coffee music? Coffee shops already rocking that one. My no. brother and sister-in-law were playing Christmas music the other day while I mean, we were doing work in the backyard. Better. Right? I know. It was distressing. Oh, but you're preparing for a Christmas uh, show with Oh, them, I suppose right? we are. Yeah, yes. so they're getting in the holiday spirit. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe that makes a bit more sense. But yeah, yeah you basically have lots of great gift options for, uh, at Talisman and Co. You've got uh, the the variety of hats that we've talked about many many different times, many vintage different styles jerseys. and approach. You've got the vintage jerseys. You've got uh, different uh, other items of apparel and accessories mm-hmm. and little, little things like coasters and cell phone cases and the mugs and mug. glasses. Exactly. Yeah. So there's smaller gifts that you could utilize if you've got to kind of spread it around this year. If you've got lots of people, <laughs> lots of soccer people. People to buy for maybe that's the way to go wrapping paper sold separately indeed indeed and <laughs> the uh, best of all you can get 10 percent off a minimum purchase oh, yeah, of 35 dollars or more uh, by using the promo code total soccer 10 that's total soccer 10 all together total soccer the words 10 the number so thank you to talisman for sponsoring today's show and one more reminder the uh that competition closes november 22nd mm-hmm. that's this friday so you've got to enter by this friday if you want to win the link will be in the show notes Click on it, and all the information will be there. Indeed, indeed, indeed. All right. Uh, f- some more news stories. I think I uh, left us off with Australia and New Zealand. Daryl Grove, where should we go next? Oh, since you mentioned Australia, um, mm. how about the Australia equal pay deal? Okay. Because uh, we didn't talk about this on the show. So um, the Australian men's and women's teams, the Socceroos and the Matildas, have negotiated a deal with the Federation to have equal pay, straight up equal pay. And the way they're going to do it is they have sort of thrown out the old deal which included um, like salaries for players from the federation 
Um, it's now straight up based on a new revenue sharing model hmm. where um, the national teams equally share um, about a quarter of the federation's player generated revenue. I'm leaning heavily on a Caitlin Murray uh, <laughs> Yahoo news story here. So I've just realized that I've literally just read a sentence that she <laughs> that she wrote. But you gave credit. So it's fine. And yeah. you won't get in trouble for uh, <laughs> Uh, what's what's the turn it in turnitin.com you won't get in trouble for plagiarism <laughs> yeah no plagiarism here mm-hmm. um, just citations I don't know if turnitin.com still exists but it did when I was in college so there we are <laughs> so yeah the, there's a new revenue sharing model uh, the men and women will earn equal pay they will also receive the same treatment right so same travel same hotel accommodation all that kind of stuff complete equal um, treatment and then also this is the interesting part part of the new um, I guess it's I don't know if they call it a CBA but the new CBA mm-hmm. um, is that commercial opportunities will also have to be equal. So, for example, Nike has a deal with the Australian Federation to pay um, certain bonuses to the men's team, certain bonuses to the women's team. Um, according to this new CBA, that now has to be renegotiated so that Nike aren't paying more to the men than to the women. Mm-hmm. And all future commercial deals would include the same level of equality. So we've obviously got uh, a slightly more tense situation when it comes to equal pay here in the oh, United yeah. States. Do you think there are lessons that can be learned from this Actually, or does yeah. it not quite apply? Um, so again, I'm leaning heavily on what mm-hmm. uh, Caitlin wrote. The does big... Caitlin think that there are lessons to be learned <laughs> from this? Well, the, the big difference here is that the uh, the men and women's teams did not have separate unions. Mm. There, was, there was one union, the PFA, which I assume is the professional Football Association, the PFA, ah. the union, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and they negotiated together with the federation. I see. The difference here in the US is there's a men's union mm-hmm. or a men's representation and there's women's representation. And so they really – it struck me that suddenly if they got on the same page, then they could negotiate this, right? But it seems to me a classic American soccer problem where everybody's got their own thing and they're protecting their own mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Right? So, so does it feel to you still like it would require representative of the women's team meeting with representatives of the men's team to make something happen? Would it require the men's players to come out and say like, hey, we want to kind of approach this together? Yeah, I mean it would – I mean the men could be more vocal in their support mm-hmm. maybe. They could volunteer to team up with the, uh, the Women's Players Association mm-hmm. to, to negotiate the next – the next CBA, I, I don't see any indications that that's going to happen. The men's right has expired as well at this point, right? I don't know. I have no idea. I can't remember if that's the men's or the MLS CBA. One, so the, the thing, yeah, the MLS CBA is going to be renegotiated before the start of next season. I'm pretty sure the men's uh, national agreement, well. yeah, the national one, I believe that expired in like 2018. I think okay. that, that's another one where we're operating under a kind of an expired agreement yeah. in good faith. See, and the problem is like for the men, it's less Which important. Which would drive my wife, the lawyer, insane. By the way. <laughs> right, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. For the men, it's less important, right? Because mm-hmm. they earn way more money from their clubs. Like it's not your livelihood doesn't depend on the CBA with the National Federation. I agree, but that is a really bad look because it is the equivalent of like – Daryl, like, or like me starving and Daryl being like, well, I'm not that hungry right now. I, I have this Christmas roast, but I'll eat it later. And I'm just like, what? But no, like, like if, <laughs> just because like they don't need it right now, it's not the best look to then not kind of like unify and approach this together. I agree. And then in terms of um, things that maybe could be learned or just copied, uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I'll repeat it, that the, the women's, the Matildas, the women's team gave up their salary from the federation. Mm-hmm. And in turn, they think they will get more money from this revenue sharing model. That that's kind of more problematic in the United States because the salary from the federation is what helps the NWSL keep those right. 
big name players without the teams themselves spending a big budget, right? So it would require some sort of new setup if we want women's national team players to play in the NWSL. All I'm hearing is that we need Sam Kerr around all the time because as well, soon as Sam, Sam Kerr leaves the United States, she gets a new gig in, in England and suddenly there's equal pay in Australia. I guess I don't so, know what to yeah. make of this. Actually, this was going to be one of my stories, so I haven't properly researched it. But yeah, Sam Kerr, if you, if you don't know, she's left Chicago Red Stars. So she's taken a contract with the Chelsea team in mm-hmm. England. Um, so great stuff for Chelsea. I think of building a team that's meant to yep. challenge for challenge for honours, maybe. But it's also an indication that the NWSL, with its maximum salary cap, can't really hold on to big star name players or can, less and less can hold on to big star name players like Sam Kerr when there's good money being offered by European teams, especially yeah. in England and France it's gonna and Germany. Be, it's going to be a bigger issue because uh, it's the WSL in England, right? Yeah, the FA Women's Super League. There it is. Um, th- like they did, basically they took advantage of the international break this weekend by having uh, different games. I think all of them were played on Sundays, but they got yeah. like 20,000, 20,000 plus crowds. They were derbies, right? Yeah. I said derbies like an American. Oh, they, here they, we go. They had the North London mm-hmm. Derby, the North London Derby, yeah. and I think they had a Merseyside Derby as yeah. well. Yeah. And, but but I think big crowds, uh, lots of people interested, money starting to flow in, which means yep. maybe NWSL is going to have to accelerate some of they, their plans if they want to keep pace. Would you mind if I um, if I do another one of my stories next then? Because that relates directly Let's to what it. you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, another story that caught my eye, Grant Wall reported um, a few days ago that the USL, so you know the USL, it's a uh, USL Championship, USL League One, second and third tier here in the United States. A lot of USL owners are talking about putting together women's teams and starting a rival Division One USL Women's League to mm-hmm. rival NWSL, possibly in 2021. It, has there been a reason for this? Well, one of the reasons um, that Grant Wall sort of someone told him um, in his to clarify, in his my objection is not with there being more opportunities for yeah. uh, professional women's soccer players. It's why would you put yourself in opposition to the NWSL, which probably does not need opposition at this point. See that part, I don't know. Okay, that part, I do not know. It may be maybe they're looking at it as like because uh, you know there's like the obvious disagreement with the the, and the star NWSL players who are US international team right. players mm-hmm. and the federation. Like maybe that um, that salary that's paid may no longer go to the NWSL. Maybe USL owners are thinking, hey, we could get that for our league instead. That you know makes I mean? sense. And, and I also, suddenly I can start filling stadiums. Like I can, I can have Alex Morgan playing in my stadium yeah. and promoting that. I'll see. Maybe, maybe we stumbled upon it because that does make sense then. That if you're, if you're for the, free, by the way. For free. There it is. Because if you're the USL, you're no longer than – oh, you mean for free in terms of like what you would have you to pay? You don't have her? to pay Alex Morgan's salary. The US soccer is paying Alex right. Morgan's salary. The yeah. for free that I think is probably maybe factoring in here is that if you're a USL, if you look at NWSL, which has been growing but not necessarily like expanding the way maybe people thought it would have at this point. Point. Maybe you look at that, and if there are expansion fees that you feel are exorbitantly high, you think, well, like things don't seem all great. They haven't like expanded as much. There's the kind of issues with U.S. soccer. Maybe we start our own league, and we don't have to pay these expansion fees, and we kind of structure it the way we want to. And maybe we then pay them a little bit more and appeal to them, and maybe we then take over NWSL. Mm-hmm. It still seems like more of what you were talking about, where there's I've, I want to get mine, and I'm concerned with my little area, and it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. There doesn't seem to be a lot of collective spirit there, which I wish were not the case. Yep. But maybe that is kind of uh, at least – partially to explain the move. So Grantwell couldn't get anyone on the record to say anything specific about it. Like the NWSL commissioner was like, I haven't heard anything about this. And someone from the USL would only say, we support women's soccer, which is a very, very vague statement. Cool. But apparently what Grantwell was told, I think it's an un, unnamed source, but someone who was happy to be quoted, but without their name on it, is that the sanctioning for a Division One women's soccer league in terms of mm, stadium yeah. size and how much money an owner has to have is the same for Division One women's soccer or very similar as it is 
to Division 2 and 3. So USL owners, their stadium, their setup, they're already almost like pre-qualified to own a Division 1 women's soccer team. You know, you get those offers in the mail? Yeah. They're, they're pre-qualified. I, w- I wonder what you have to do there, that if you're a club, like, do you just have to show, like, oh, we have this this operating budget, we're fine? Like, I guess I'm, I'm wondering... You have, to, you have to prove I have this size stadium, for example. Right. But if you've already got that stadium, you've, you've already done that work to get your USL men's team set mm-hmm. up. You've got the major piece that you need to run a team. Right. So it kind of makes it easy to then launch a team. But you, do you have to show, like, financial uh, capabilities as well? You do. I don't know what the number is, but yes, you do. I guess yeah. that's, that's what I'm saying is, like, I wonder if it's just that, like, if you have... The, the money then you can do it so that like a team that's already operating on a like $10 million a year budget they could say like yeah see we have $10 million a year we're operating and maybe it doesn't matter that that's already allocated it just means you've got a $10 million a year budget so yeah that's a, a, a well financed USL team yeah uh, a $1 million a year budget how about that <laughs> Um, what may have kickstarted all mm-hmm. this is so Louisville, Louisville yep. City, USL team mm-hmm. with MLS aspirations. Yep. They are launching, it seems, or I don't know if it's official or not, mm-hmm. an NWSL team. Proof Louisville. Proof Louisville. So it may be that in that process they've sort of decided there's been some conversations of – oh, why don't we just do this ourselves? Yep. Because yeah. it, it also makes sense, especially fr- from a Louisville perspective of, yeah, they've got uh, UofL, they've got basketball, but they don't really have any like next-level professional teams aside from uh, Louisville City, just lost USL Championship final. But, you know, uh, commiserations to them. But maybe mm-hmm. that is uh, looking at it as a way to get a top-tier professional team in as quickly as possible because the women's game is, I would say, an underdeveloped, underutilized market. Yeah. So you become uh, like the next big thing for women's soccer, mm-hmm. and maybe that kind of elevates elevates you to another level in terms of the like sports atmosphere. Yeah, it's, it's something that you can see, oh, this is growing, we mm-hmm. should get in on this. It may be as simple as that. But to your earlier point, we know the history yep. of soccer in the US is if you have the soccer wars of two competing leagues at the same division, you dilute the talent pool, you run into all sorts of trouble because you're like clashing with each other, and it always ends up going down, right? Yep. So I don't understand why these USL owners aren't just thinking about how could we, even if it's like proposing to NWSL that we do some sort of merger, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like think of it as one league with the combined strength of the NWSL and the USL owners because NWSL needs expansion, right? So mm-hmm. why not just like part of the expansion is a USL merger? That would, that would be fine. Yes. I would be okay with that because you're I'd right. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, because to your point with like the soccer wars, there's the, I haven't watched, watched Succession in a while, but there's the quote about Logan Roy in there that it's like he, like he burned everything and then called the ashes an empire. And that is what tends <laughs> to happen when it comes to soccer wars. When you battle each other, you hurt yourself, you weaken your standing, it becomes a sort of like public uh, PR slog nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then even if you win, you still have done so by kind of weakening your own brand, whereas unifying and working together, now you got more money and everybody's happy and everybody's on board. That should be how it works. It right? should be how it works. It's not really how it works in U.S. soccer. That should but be how it works. Here we are. Um, all right, so I've just done two in sure. a row, mm-hmm. so I should definitely throw it back to you. What, what's some more news that we've missed? I'm excited because I don't know what this is going to be. Uh, my, mine's a little bit of uh, a downer, I'll say. Uh, okay. Luis Enrique returns to Spain. I think the, oh, the yes. Sidlo headliner article, like, like paraphrasing it, was essentially what should have been a party is instead like a tragedy or uh, a stressful event at the very least mm-hmm. because uh, – Basically, Luis Enrique, uh, the very quick abbreviated story, Luis Enrique stepped down from the Spain national team. His assistant, uh, Robert Moreno, took over, has guided Spain uh, through Euro qualifying, and now Luis Enrique has has returned, and uh, Robert Moreno is out. 
and there's a, a bit of drama there as well. So that's the abbreviated version. The longer version would be that Luis Enrique uh, takes over as Spain manager in, 20, in uh, July of 2018. He leaves Spain camp in March of 2019 to be with his daughter, who is battling cancer, I believe nine-year-old daughter. He then steps down officially in July to focus fully on uh, her battle against cancer. Uh, she passed away, so then he was in mourning. I think it took about three months to kind of recover and process her loss. In the meantime, Robert Moreno, uh, Luis Enrique's assistant and friend, key point there, takes yeah. over. And he, he'd been his assistant at Barcelona and at Celta, at Roma. At Roma. Well. Yeah, yeah uh, he'd been around. Um, and essentially, once Luis Enrique steps down officially uh, that July, uh, Robert Moreno is given a permanent deal uh, through the end of uh, the 2020 Euros. So basically through qualifying mm. and then into the Euros. And it makes sense because Spain, as we've already talked about, topped Group F in qualifying. Eight wins, two draws, zero losses. So about as good as you could do with a plus plus 26 goal difference. It means he had the players on board. He had people uh, kind of buying into the system. Santi Cazorla was back and scored a goal yeah. uh, this past uh, week. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so it seemed like everything was good. The, the look on my face that mm-hmm. you're seeing is, it sounds to me like Spain gave Moreno a contract yep. through the end of Euro 2020, but also I know they told Luis Enrique... We're ready for you to come back whenever you want to come back. This is the very confusing thing to me. And I I honestly think it's not even worth saying, like, who is right and wrong here. Maybe you could say the Spanish FA because that's where I tend to be. Uh, Spanish like they've double booked themselves. Spanish FA president uh, Luis Rubiales said uh, this week after Enrique had returned, uh, quote, we have been honest from the start. We always said a thousand and one times the door would always be open for Luis Enrique whenever he wanted to return. We told Moreno from the very start uh, the moment Luis Enrique wanted to return, he would return. We have always been transparent. In September, Moreno himself said he would be delighted to step aside, insisting that Luis Enrique is a friend and friends are above all else. But then it sounds... September 2019. That's not that long ago. It's not. It sounds like... It's very vague. It's very mysterious. But it sounds like in the two months since then, things have changed dramatically. And that Moreno, I think, started to maybe feel like he kind of deserved the job. He saw Spain through qualifying. Um, It seems like maybe his relationship with Luis Enrique has changed as well. Um, So reports surfaced last week that Rubiales, the the president, uh, was not convinced by Moreno. Moreno demanded clarification. And then, according to Rubiales, basically on Monday, they got a text from Moreno saying he wished to step down, he wouldn't stand in Luis Enrique's way, which implies that Luis Enrique basically texted him and said, or called him and said, like, hey, I want to come back, just so you know. And that yeah. was kind of what started it. But, but he's now, not going to go back to being his assistant. He's not. Moreno, uh, uh, their final game in Euro qualifying was a 5-0 demolition of Romania. By all accounts, there it was a tearful locker room goodbye. He avoided reporters. The players did not talk to reporters either, and he will not take his prior position. So it seems like something has gone wrong. So essentially, it's sort of Luis Enrique returning after the death of his daughter to the Spanish national team was meant to be this sort of like he's back and we can embrace him and we can all move forward together but now there's this awkward situation because I think to your point Spain basically said here's a permanent job to one guy and to the other said but that job's yours whenever you want it alright having only read a Conan Jay situation yeah having only read a couple of stories Mm -hmm. um, I feel like Moreno's in the wrong here Okay. I feel like he was the assistant and he was saying I'll take over just while my friend is dealing with this but then when it comes time for his friend to come back, he's not willing to go back to yep. being an assistant. It seems to me, and again, I know I'm just judging this one from reading a couple of news stories and not really knowing much about Moreno, that he's just like got a taste for being the head coach and has decided, I want the big job now. And to be fair, like what else can he say in that moment? If you're asked in a press conference, like your friend Luis Enrique is, like, is battle, like, helping his daughter battle cancer, but if he comes back, are you going to stand in his way? 
like you can't really say no in that moment. You right. have to say like, no, you know, I want the best for him. I always want to look out for him. But it does, it does feel a little bit like, yeah, you're, maybe your instincts are right there that at the same time he thought, but it's my job now and I've yeah. got the permanent deal. Everybody believes in me, so it should be fine. And I'm sure there's more to the story than I know. Certainly. Just reading a couple of new and stories. And me yeah, as well, yeah. So yeah, but that, that's what it looks like to me from the outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so here we are again. The, the quick final point on this is here we are again with Spain seeming like they should be in really solid footing that they breeze through qualifying. They've got this, this coach who's kind of got it going. It seems like the players are bought in. And now the, the coach that they uh, were enjoying, there were some concerns about Luis Enrique as Spain manager, but we can put those aside for now. And it seems like, okay, now he's back and it's all going to come together. And instead we find ourselves again with Spain in a sort of weird, oh. is this the coach they want? Is he going to be around? Yeah. Is this where we need to be? And so, I'm not sure how it plays out. For those who don't remember, mm-hmm. <laughs> World Cup 2018, they were absolutely flying yep. under Lopetegui. Um, until Lopetegui seemed to agree to take the Real Madrid job after yeah. the World Cup while he was still the Spain coach. Yeah. And then they fired him while they were like about to start the tournament, right? Yeah. And just let Fernando Hierro take charge. And that worked out great. And then the tournament didn't go so well. Not so yeah. much. Oh, Spain. Yeah. Sp- Spain have made some choices. Spain have made they some choices. Certainly. And we'll see how they, they play out next summer. Uh, but before we do that, we've got uh, a couple more stories, I do believe. We sure do. Mm-hmm. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is leaving Major League Soccer. So there was some speculation about whether he would sign another contract and play another year for the LA Galaxy. But no, he, uh, he tweeted at the end of the season, I came, I saw, I conquered. Thank you, LA Galaxy, for making me feel alive again. To the Galaxy fans, you wanted Zlatan, I gave you Zlatan. You are welcome. The story continues. Now go back to watch baseball. Mm-hmm. That's Bye-bye. how Zlatan leaves us. Good riddance. Yeah. Um, Man, he really I, – I loved Zlatan coming into his time with LA Galaxy. I enjoyed him with the LA Galaxy. Some of the playoff games – I think I, I blame Joe Lowry for this is what I'm going to say because Joe was the one who kind of put in my head the idea that like maybe Zlatan is also kind of a problem for the Galaxy yeah. and that he doesn't really do anything defensively. He's not going to run if he doesn't feel like it. He knows he's the biggest personality there and can kind of do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And that started – to kind of shine through even before the All-Star game that you already mentioned where it was, again, sort of he was standing up top. It's an All-Star game. Who cares? But as the season progressed, it didn't feel like he was kind of raising them to that next level where the Galaxy were going to win MLS Cup, as an example. Yep. So him saying, you're welcome, and I did it, I, I don't really know what to make of that one. Well, here is stats. 56 MLS appearances, mm-hmm. 52 goals, Decent. 17 assists, yep. zero defensive pressures. Yeah, that's. <laughs> the last I don't one. know if that's true, but it feels like it could be true. <laughs> it does feel. You true, absolutely right? could have told me that um, was real. So I would say that um, I understand you getting sort of sick of the mm-hmm. persona, but I think it's worth thinking of that tweet um, and a lot of the things Latan said while he was in Major League Soccer as a marketing exercise, yeah, certainly. and almost one that either the LA Galaxy or the league was kind of on board with. It was yeah. like, come in, do your thing, but also be the heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, go out there and, and say stuff. I think it's so – it's definitely premeditated. Even though – okay, listen, listen to this – listen to the last sentence again. Now go back to watch baseball. Yeah. It's almost like the grammar is off almost deliberately. Yeah. You know I mean, if you take your – if you take in your time writing that tweet to get correct, it would have been no go back to watching baseball. Right. You know, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's deliberately, like, in character. And I think that's – been what the whole Zlatan, not the whole thing, but a lot of what the Zlatan exercise has been, has been a bit of a marketing thing for Major League Soccer, where Zlatan plays into the persona. Yeah, but like, I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. We're in season 14 now. Those characters have evolved. They are, uh, <laughs> I would say, negatively, and they're more like lunatic parodies of themselves than they were in the first season, but they changed. And I think it's just that Zlatan sticks since he got here, and even before that, has just been that, like, you're welcome. I am Zlatan. Yeah, yeah. I'm amazing. You're welcome. Well, that's why maybe it only 
only lasts for a year and a half before people are a bit like, oh, okay, I've seen yeah. it. Yeah, and it's just also like you're not this like all-conquering, like, yes, he scored 52 goals, but they didn't win MLS Cup. It's not as though mm-hmm. he kind of redefined the game the way other D- DPs have and other players who've played in this league have. So yeah. I think it's just that it's like the same shtick, but still expecting to be like, I'm adorable at the I get same it. time. I get it. I will say, he does leave us with one big legacy. Hmm. I, really, I really mean this, and it's El Trafico. Yep. So the very first El Trafico, mm-hmm. the LA Galaxy versus LAFC, um, is that game where Zlatan makes his debut, comes off the bench, LA Galaxy are losing. He scores that volley from nearly the halfway line, mm-hmm. make it 3-3 off the bench, and then he scores the winner with a header to make it 4-3. And every El Trafico since has been wild, including yeah. the one that um, LAFC won and mm-hmm. the LA Galaxy lost in the playoffs, I think that is Latan's legacy. That game was probably always going to be pretty good, but he came in and really just elevated that one game to a whole new level of exciting derby by yeah. just having insane things happen in it. I think that that's a fair point to make. I would say, though, like I don't know how much of a legacy he has in MLS in the end. I think I you're probably, you what it was. I think that's probably it. That's what I'm saying. But like I aside do. from that, like I don't think he is that... For who he is and the reputation he brought and the kind of prestige and history he has mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to remember it as like he he like was this dominant force who tore the league apart I think you could put together a highlight reel that Certainly. makes it look like he was a dominant oh, yeah. force tearing the league apart and it's 52 goals but every MLS analyst that I respect has basically said yeah, those moments were great, mm-hmm. but the LA Galaxy will be a better team when they can build without Zlatan because they can, for example, have a forward that pressures defences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but- yeah, I think, I think that's the future is the LA Galaxy will get better without Zlatan and we'll have these highlight moments to just look back on and the league can use them as marketing or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, the standard of football is about to get better without Zlatan. Yeah, I think yeah. that makes sense. And like, But do you think like five years from now, are we still talking about like, oh yeah, remember Zlatan? Like, or, like, yeah, oh, occasionally, Zlatan? yeah. Okay. Um, we won't do it every day. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I'm not saying like we're going to forget him. I just like, I wonder if he'll have that staying power that other DPs have had. Yeah, in a different way though. Okay. In a sort of slightly cynical marketing kind of way. Who's right? saying that more? Because uh, even Beckham like came and it felt very oh, no. marketing yeah. and eventually Bruce Arena put that team together and they actually won trophies. True. You know what I'm saying? Who stands out more... Uh, long-term, Zlatan or Wayne Rooney? Probably Zlatan. Mm-hmm. Probably Zlatan because Rooney didn't really achieve much uh, in terms of... Uh, he had that one tackle. He did have that. <laughs> I mean, he has that one moment, yeah. right, uh, where he uh, gives the assist to, I believe, Vitor yeah. Acosta. Zlatan um, has 52 moments. But this yeah. past season was kind not so memorable yeah. for Wayne Rooney. Yeah, Zlatan has more moments. Yeah. There we are. All mm-hmm. right, well, we'll stay in MLS. Uh, my final uh, bit of news that we have yet to discuss is Thierry Henry taking over at the Montreal oh, Impact. Oh, yeah. I was so sure this was going to be a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. <laughs> I blame uh, uh, Pablo Mar and Felipe Cardenas uh, with, for writing an excellent athletic piece uh, that kind of has me feeling like maybe it's not going to be a total disaster. Okay, tell yeah. me more. Because um, it did not go so well at Monaco. It did not. And, and lest we forget, like, it didn't always go so well at Red Bull, at, at New York Red Bull. That, when he was uh, playing? Yeah, when, as a player, he struggled with, uh, to their point, uh, officiating the league's open media access. He didn't love how reporters could just come into the mm-hmm. locker room and ask questions. He also didn't love how his teammates weren't as good as him. I have a uh, lot yep. of memories of him just just Hand, remonstrating. Hands in the air frustration. Yeah. More on that in a moment. Uh, he did not love the poor playing surfaces, the tactically regressive coaches. And that was all factored into maybe he already has some frustration with MLS. And then to your point, I think about the hand-waving and the frustration and being visibly annoyed by his teammates. And we heard those same reports coming out of Monaco that he would sort of step into training because he didn't think players were good enough or doing the right thing. And he basically just kept being like, I'll show you how it's done. Yeah. Which serves 
like it's counterintuitive, but it goes like, like basically it tells the players you're not good enough. The coach thinks you can't do it. You're not actually coaching them to be better. So all of these reasons were reasons why I felt like maybe it's not going to work out. The point of the uh, the piece from Pablo and Felipe is essentially that like if you look at Monaco. And, and like look at it in depth, you realize he kind of inherited a really, really difficult situation with uh, Leonardo, Leonardo Jardim leaving. Yeah. They had just sold five or six very, very key Did, players. Am I right in thinking they had that Champions League semifinal run mm-hmm. and then they sold guys like Kylian Mbappe yes. and so on? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so essentially that Champions League semifinal team mm-hmm. was just ripped apart. Fabinho uh, in there as well, I believe. Right, and then he was Fielders. left with, he was just, here's what's left over, good luck. <laughs> Except for it, was, it was here's what's left over after Leonardo Jardim has already kind of crashed and burned this season and you're being brought in to resuscitate things but yeah. this is Henri who didn't have any first team experience at that point he he's been an assistant, assistant mm-hmm. to Martinez for Belgium right Right, yeah. and so I think and he's also by all accounts obsessed with the kind of philosophy and tactics and the deeper understanding of soccer that that's how like he gets uh, caught up watching an amateur soccer game and like loses focus talking to media because he's so focused on like what's happening Henri on the field yeah. I didn't know that, that. happened, know that happened that in the guy. story yeah all right. it was like an amateur game between like uh, uh, police and firefighters in New York after a Red Bulls game, and he was like, "What are they doing?" Like he was super into it, and so apparently that's kind of who he is. He yeah. he is a disciple of Pep Guardiola. He played under Guardiola at Man City. He's uh, I forget who the other oh, and Arsene Wenger. So he's big on the philosophy and new ideas of coaching. You can't really implement those in sort of an emergency situation at Monaco. Mm-hmm. So the idea is here. Essentially, he's given semi-carte blanche as much as Saputo is ever going to give a manager in Major League Soccer to sort of do what he wants. Do you think he still wants the job after Daniel Lovitz was left unprotected in the MLS expansion draft? (laughs) Do you think... Thierry Henry knew who Daniel Lovitz was. I mean, I think it's the same as losing Kylian Mbappe. (laughs) It's definitely the same. Um, So, like, it's worth noting that he was uh, he was the one who contacted uh, Montreal Impact when the vacancy became official. Mm -hmm. He was also there. Bonjour, this is Thierry Henry. He was their only interview. So, I guess the interview he impressed. He had ideas for how he wants things to go and is now in charge. He's their seventh uh, coach in eight seasons. So, I would say the article. Like, I still have some of those lingering concerns. But maybe this is – essentially it is also that this is his last opportunity basically. That at this point if he fails here, if he's failed in Monaco, if, he, if he's failed in Major League Soccer, are there that many more clubs like semi-high profile clubs who are going to want to come in and, and roll the dice on him? Probably. He's a pretty big name. I, th- I think it probably requires him to be an assistant manager for another coach for a little bit longer yeah. and then maybe he gets another gig. But yeah. I th- he has a lot of eggs in this basket and I think as a result is going to be maybe more committed than we've ever seen him uh-huh. to making things happen to finding success in MLS. I mean, at the very least, it makes Major League Soccer really interesting. Yes, in it season. does. The standard of... Um, the profile of coaches mm-hmm. and maybe even the talent of coaches. Yeah, the talent of coaches mm-hmm. is definitely up, right? Yeah. Bradley, Almeida, uh, now Henri. And it's, I think, it's really I think, exciting. I think they – I'm not sure if Pablo and Felipe made that point. They talked about how he didn't like the tactics when he was a player. Yeah. But I think to your point – a few years ago now, right? Yeah, but that's probably not uh, – a coincidence that as you get more like exciting, young or new or innovative coaches coming into the league and then moving on to other big jobs, Tata Martino would be one. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if he looks at it as an opportunity to do the same and sort of cement his status as an up and coming manager yeah. in uh, North America, at least. All right. Uh, have you got time for one more one more story that people might have missed? Um, if you um, listen to us do the Richmond Kickers Weekly mm-hmm. podcast throughout the season, um, you will know that I think either our final podcast or the penultimate podcast, we talked about how they, they fired or didn't renew the contract of head coach David Bulow. With the press conference last week, the Richmond Kickers 
have a new head coach. They certainly do. It's Darren Sawatsky. Um, he's the former what, Seattle Sounders um, assistant and U23 coach. Um, I think he was involved with the academy yep. there as well. And then last season, he was the head coach of FC Tucson. He's the new kickers head coach. We went to the introductory press conference. Um, we haven't spoken individually to him yet. I'm mm-hmm. hoping we'll get him on the show either later this year or before the new season next year. I was pretty impressed with what he had to say. I, I feel like I can pick the, the thing that made you most excited. Okay. Was it when you asked him about his philosophy and he immediately responded with like, we're going to go out there and press. We're going to go at him and we're going to try to like make stuff happen. I'm all about attack. I like that he gave some specifics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I think anytime a coach says we're all about pressing, I think Daryl is just like, thumbs up, I'm good. But he, I think he also then got into some detail about um, how essentially he's going to be flexible. Adaptable, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think it is the opposite to the very possession-heavy, this is my philosophy approach of David Bulow before. is about we're going to do this until it works versus... Sawatsky seems to be more about um, we're going to do whatever it takes each game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be it'll be interesting to see um, at City Stadium, which is where the kickers play. It'll be interesting to see that new approach. And then the thing I found really interesting as well is he's not just head coach; he's also sporting mm-hmm. director and uh, president and GM uh, Matt Spear, or maybe former GM. I don't know if that those roles now passed to Darren Sawatsky. Said basically, yeah, Sawatsky um, has all these contacts from his time, his long time in soccer, and he he'll be able to bring in players, and he can do that better than I can. Yeah. So it's really interesting that there's a coach who's now empowered to use. His contacts to bring in players from all over the United States as a as a kickers fan and as someone who's probably going to be covering the team um, in 2020 I'm interested to see who he brings in yeah yeah so we've had three bad years of the kickers yeah we're ready for a good year they held on to what like 12 players I think it was from last season Uh, I'm gonna guess they're gonna sign a few more because I don't think 12 is gonna be enough yes (laughs) two injuries away from a crisis yeah I mean, I think that was the kickers the entirety of last season. So, uh, yes, I'm going to guess we'll get some new players and we'll be able to see in preseason sort of what he's changed, how he's approaching things. Yep. And I've, I've just heard from a, a couple of people that they're really impressed with. So what's yeah, uh, uh, Matt Spear, the president, uh, mentioned that in the kind of interview uh, process, the search process, he spoke with Brian Schmetzer, who had nothing but good things to say and yeah. talked a lot about his – uh, Swati's uh, like philosophy and background in coaching and his approach to developing young players yep. that also factored into the decision as well. And I've had a couple of people who I won't name, like it's kind of I assume off the record, just personal stuff, who've reached out and said, "Hey, you'll be you'll be in for a good mm-hmm. year with this guy." Yep. So that makes me optimistic. Darren Swatsky, new Richmond Kickers head. Coach. It was Raul Ruiz, right? That's it was. What it was. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Um, well, you got any other news you want to share, Taylor? Nope. That's no. it. No. All right. Then that that was a lot of news I think. for one yeah, show. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's now or never, or forever. Hold your peace. Um, so <laughs> we will close. Jose Mourinho has been fired from Tottenham? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do have a random one. Uh, It is totally, totally random. But speaking of coaches being immediately fired, did you know that there's going to be a Ted Lasso TV show? No. Yeah, apparently that's being developed. Uh, Ted Lasso. Have they they cancelled the uh, the Spurs documentary and they're going to do that instead? Oh, man, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard that from somebody, that it was like Jason Sudeikis, that character. I think they're going to try to make a TV show out of it. We'll see if that's still the case. I don't know if that was like a planned thing that's fallen through. But if that happens, I don't know if it was a good in small doses sort of thing or if it's just a yeah. good overall because I do love me some Sudeikis. But also part – I mean I like Sudeikis as mm-hmm. well. But part of the charm of the Ted Lasso thing was seeing Sudeikis interact with actual Spurs players. Right. Right, I assume. How many countries are in this country? Yeah, I mean that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That was about bio, right? Was he talking to Gareth? Bale yeah, yeah. That one. Um, but I assume this will be some sort of scripted show. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like when it's um, scripted soccer, you run into trouble. Yeah, see the goal movies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what do you mean they're so good? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they are. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're not. I mean, I mean, but I'm interested. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. Yeah. Yep. If it's Lord Michaels producing, I'm interested. Th- that would probably help. Yeah. And if it's uh, who's the one who produces all the shows ever? 
Oh, the, the best Greg guy Shure? for me, it's Mike Michael Shore. Michael yeah. Shore, yeah. You're getting right. confused Greg, with Greg Daniels, Daniels, Mike Shore. He's yeah. also mm-hmm. good. Yeah, but Mike Shore is uh, The Good Place. Mm-hmm. What, The Office, I think, is involved. Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Definitely Nine-Nine. Parks and Rec, yeah. Yep, all four. Oh, he good. He is good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, on that note, I will say, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. If you want more, you could always try our other podcast, Soccer 101. That's out there. Go find it. But thank you to listening to this episode, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Oh, 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 o